Hi, I'm MC Jessie. 大家好，读你听二点零。今日继续读我哋 Miguel de Cervantes 嘅 Don Quixote。咁就我哋今日读到 Chapter Two 噶啦。咁啊，上一回咧就讲 Don Quixote 佢为自己改名啦，改个名做 Don Quixote 啦，帮佢只马改名啦，改做 Rocinante 啦，然之后就要。配上佢嘅盔甲，吓佢嘅装备，然之后就搭上佢征途啦。而搭上征途之前第一件事咧，仲有一件事喎，吓就系咧寻找佢嘅爱人，因为咧佢冇爱人去守护咧，一位女性去守护咧，作为一个骑士咧，真系冇意思嘅。咁好啦，咁啊睇下呢个骑士吓，佢呢个旅程嘅展开会系点啊 ？Chapter Two, which treats of the first Sally? The ingenious Don Quixote made from home. These preliminaries settled, he did not care to put off any longer the execution of his design, urged onto it by the thought of all the world was losing by his delay. Seeing what wrongs he intended to right, grievances to redress, injustice to repair, abuses to remove, and duties to discharge. So, without giving notice of his intention to anyone, and without anybody seeing him. One morning before the dawning of the day, he donned his suit of armor, mounted Rocinante with his patched-up helmet on, braced his buckler, took his lance, and by the back door of the yard sallied forth upon the plain in the highest contentment and satisfaction at seeing with what ease he had made a beginning with his grand purpose. But scarcely did he find himself upon the open plain when a terrible thought struck him. One all but enough to make him abandon the enterprise at the very outset. It occurred to him that he had not been duped in the night, and that according to the law of chivalry, he neither could nor ought to bear arms against any knight, and that even if he had been, still he ought, as a novice knight, to wear white armor, without a device upon the shield until by his prowess he had earned one. These reflections made him waver in his purpose. But his craze being stronger than any reasoning, he made up his mind to have himself duped at night by the first one he came across, following the example of others in the same case, as he had read in the books that brought him to this pass. As for white armor, he resolved, on the first opportunity, to scour his until it was whiter than an ermine, and so comforting himself, he pursued his way, taking that which his horse chose. For in this he believed lay the essence of adventures. Thus setting out, our new-fledged adventurer paced along, talking to himself and saying, "Who knows but that in time to come, when the ferocious history of my famous deeds is made known, the sage who writes it, when he has to set forth my first sally in the early morning, will do it after this fashion." Scars had the rubicund Apollo spread over the face of the broad, spacious earth, the golden threads of his bright hair. Scars had the little birds of painted plumage attuned their notes to hail with dulcet and mellifluous harmony the coming of the rosy dawn that, deserting the soft couch of a jealous spouse, was appearing the mortals at the gates and balconies of the Manchegan horizon. When the renowned knight Don Quixote of La Mancha, quitting the lazy down, mounted his celebrated steed Rocinante and began to traverse the ancient and famous Campo de Montiel, which in fact he was actually traversing. Happy the age, happy the time, he continued. 
in which shall be made known my deeds of fame, worthy to be moulded in brass, carved in marble, limned in pictures, for a memorial forever. And thou, O sage magician, whoever thou art, to whom it shall fall to be the chronicler of this wondrous history, forget not. I entreat thee, my good Rothinante, the constant companion of my ways and wanderings. Presently he broke out again, as if he were love-stricken in earnest. O princess Dothenia, lady of this captive heart, a grievous wrong hast thou done me to drive me forth with scorn, and with inexorable obduracy banish me from the presence of thy beauty. O lady, deign to hold in remembrance this heart, thy vessel, that thus in anguish pines for love of thee. So he went on stringing together these and other absurdities, all in the style of those his books had taught him, imitating their language as well as he could. And all the while he rode so slowly, and the sun mounted so rapidly and with such fervor that it was enough to melt his brains if he had any. Nearly all day he travelled without anything remarkable happening to him, at which he was in despair, for he was anxious to encounter someone at once upon whom to try the might of his strong arm. Writers there are who say the first adventure he met with was that of Pierto Lapis. Others say it was that of the windmills. But what I have ascertained on this point, and what I have found written in the annals of La Mancha, is that he was on the road all day, and towards nightfall his back, and he found himself dead tired and hungry. When looking all round to see if he could discover any castle or shepherd's shanty where he might refresh himself and relieve his sore wants. He perceived not far out of his road an inn, which was as welcome as a star guiding him to the portals, if not the palaces, of his redemption. And quickening his pace, he reached it just as night was setting in. At the door were standing two young women, girls of the district as they call them, on their way to Seville with some carriers who had chanced to halt that night at the inn. And as happened what might to our adventurer. Everything he saw and imagined seemed to him to be and to happen after the fashion of what he read of. The moment he saw the inn, he pictured it to himself as a castle with its four turrets and pinnacles of shining silver, not forgetting the drawbridge and moat and all the belongings usually ascribed to castles of the sort. To this inn, which to him seemed a castle, he advanced, and at a short distance from it, he checked Rothnante, hoping that some dwarf would show himself upon the battlements. And by sound of trumpet, give notice that a knight was approaching the castle. But seeing that they were slow about it, and that Rothinante was in a hurry to reach the stable, he made for the inn door, and perceived the two gay damsels who were standing there, and who seemed to him to be two fair maidens or lovely ladies taking their ease at the castle gate. At this moment, it so happened that a swineherd, who was going through the stubbles collecting a drove of pigs. Gave a blast of his horn to bring them together, and forthwith it seemed to Don Quixote to be what he was expecting—the signal of some dwarf announcing his arrival. And so, with prodigious satisfaction, he rode up to the inn and to the ladies, who, seeing a man of this sort approaching in full armor and with lance and buckler, were turning in dismay into the inn. When Don Quixote, guessing their fear by their flight, raising his pasteboard visor, disclosed his dry, dusty visage. And with courteous bearing and gentle voice, jested, "Your ladyship need not fly or fear any rudeness, for that it belongs not to the order of knighthood which I profess to offer to anyone. 
much less to high-born maidens as your appearance proclaims you to be. The girls were looking at him and straining their eyes to make out the features, which the clumsy visor obscured. But when they heard themselves called maidens, a thing so much out of their line, they could not restrain their laughter, which made Don Quixote wax indignant and say, "Modesty becomes the fair, and moreover laughter that has little cause is great silliness." This, however, I say not to pain or anger you, for my desire is none other than to serve. The incomprehensible language and unpromising looks of our cavalier only increased the lady's laughter, and that increased his irritation. And matters may have gone farther if, at that moment, the landlord had not come out, who, being a very fat man, was a very peaceful one. He, seeing this grotesque figure clad in armor that did not match any more than his saddle, bridle, lance, buckler, or corset. Was not at all indisposed to join the damsels in their manifestations of amusement, but in truth, standing in awe of such a complicated armament, he thought it best to speak him fairly. So he said, "Signor Caballero, if your worship wants lodging, baiting the bed, there is plenty of everything else here." Don Quixote, observing the respectful bearing of the alcade of the fortress, made answer, "Sir Castellan, for me anything will suffice." For my armor is my only wear, my only rest to fray. The host fancied he called him Castellan because he took him for a worthy of Castile, though he was in fact an Andalusian and one from the strand of San Luca, as crafty a thief as Cacus and as full of tricks as a student or a page. In that case, said he, your bed is on the flinty rock, your sleep to watch always. And if so, you may dismount and safely reckon upon any quantity of sleeplessness under this roof for a twelvemonth, not to say for a single night. So saying, he advanced to hold the stirrup for Don Quixote, who got down with great difficulty and exertion, and then charged the host to take great care of his horse, as he was the best bit of flesh that ever ate bread in this well. The landlord eyed him over, but did not find him as good as Don Quixote said. Nor even half as good, and putting him up in the stable, he returned to see what might be wanted by his guest, whom the damsels, who had by this time made the peace with him, were now relieving of his armor. They had taken off his breastplate and backpiece, but they neither knew nor saw how to open his gorget or remove his makeshift helmet, for he had fastened it with green ribbons, which, as there was no untying the knots, required to be cut. This, however, he would not by any means consent to. So he remained all the evening with his helmet on, the drollest and oddest figure that can be imagined. And while they were removing his armor, taking the baggages who were about it for ladies of high degree belonging to the castle, he said to them with great sprightliness, "Oh, never surely was there knight so served by hand of dame, as served was he, Don Quixote hight, when from his town he came." With maidens waiting on himself, princesses on his hack, all Rocinante for that lady's mind is my horse's name, and Don Quixote of La Mancha is my own. For though I had no intention of declaring myself until my achievements in your service and honour had made me know, the necessity of adapting that old ballad of Lancelot to the present occasion has given you the knowledge of my name altogether prematurely. A time, however, will come for your ladyship to command and me to obey. And then the might of my arm will show my desire to serve you. The girls, who were not used to hearing rhetoric of this sort, had nothing to say in reply. 
They only asked him if he wanted anything to eat. I would gladly eat a bit of something, said Don Quixote, for I feel it would come very seasonably. The day happened to be a Friday, and in the whole inn there was nothing but some pieces of the fish they call in Castile abadejo, in Andalusia bacalao, and in some places curadillo, and in others trumpet. So they asked him if he thought he could eat trumpet, for there was no other fish to give him. If there be troublers enough, said Don Quixote, they will be the same thing as a trout. For it is all one to me whether I am given eight reels in small change or a piece of eight. Moreover, it may be that these troutlets are like feel, which is better than bee or kid, which is better than goat. But whatever it be, let it come quickly, for the burden and pressure of arms cannot be borne without support to the inside. They laid the table for him at the door of the inn for the sake of the air, and the host brought him a portion of ill-soaked and worse-cooked stockfish and a piece of bread as black and mouldy as his own armor. But a laughable sight it was to see him eating, for having his helmet on and the beaver up, he could not, with his own hands, put anything into his mouth unless someone else placed it there. And this service one of the ladies rendered him, but to give him anything to drink was impossible. Or would have been so had not the landlord bore the reed, and putting one end in his mouth, poured the wine into him through the other, all which he bore with patience rather than sever the ribbons of his helmet. While this was going on, there came up to the inn a sogelder, who, as he approached, sounded his reed pipe four or five times, and thereby completely convinced Don Quixote that he was in some famous castle, and that they were regaling him with music. And that the stockfish was trout, the bread the whitest, the wenches ladies, and the landlord the castellan of the castle, and consequently he held that his enterprise and Sally had been to some purpose. But still it distressed him to think he had not been duped a night, for it was plain to him he could not lawfully engage in any adventure without receiving the order of knighthood. Oh, 咁呢一节咧就完咗啦。呢、这個算係當期可提嘅第一個歷險啩嚇，雖然冇任何嘅冇任何嘅驚險場面嚇，佢只不過咧係好攰嚇，因為著住佢呢一件稱身嘅裝甲嚇，騎住呢只馬咁啊一路喺度行，漫無目的咁樣行，咁啊幾經辛苦嚟到呢一個小店，咁啊佢自以為係一個城堡，咁大家都唔知點樣去。應對佢啦嚇，咁啊求其俾啲嘢佢食，咁但係佢都當係佳餚美酒噶啦。一個非常之執著、懷抱住騎士精神嘅湯傑克提嘅旅程咧，啱啱開始咗啦。好，我哋睇下呢個第二節有啲咩字同大家分享啦。Voracious, voracious， 形容詞嚟嘅 ，speaking or representing the truth。Voracious, v-e-r-a-c-i-o-u-s， 喺文中嘅開頭出現嘅。形容佢話誒 ，ferocious history 啊，一個 ferocious account of 佢自己嘅一啲歷險故事啦嚇 ，ferocious 真實嘅嚇。Rubicon, Rubicon, R-U-B-I-C-U-N-D， 形容詞嚟嘅，通常都形容一個人嘅面容啊 ，having a ruddy complexion， 誒、呃，一個健康嘅紅啦，啲泛紅啦，面色泛紅咁。呢、这個字比較少見 ，mellifluous, mellifluous。形容詞嚟嘅，形容聲音嘅 ，pleasantly smooth and musical to hear。文中係將兩個呢兩個形容詞擺埋一齊 ，dulcet and mellifluous， 兩個都係形容一啲好聽嘅聲音。
Hayat Jet Zoid Tung Daiga Duk Ne Ting. Adios.